welcome to Three Righteous Mamas. We are a podcast brought to you by The Signal that is on a mission to transform our country. We tell the stories that matter, celebrate the power and hope of pissed off mamas who are building a better future for all of our children. Hi, I'm Cristina Sinsun Ramirez. Hi, I'm Muna Husseini. Hi, I'm Martha Pincoff. And we are so excited to have you with us. We want to remind folks to please subscribe and don't forget to tell a friend about this podcast, especially another righteous mama. And, um, I hope everyone had a great mother's day. I know we're a few weeks from then, but mine was amazing. And I hope everyone else's was as well. We've got an incredible guest today, Carrie Conti, that's going to be talking about parenting our kids as we build a better world for all of our children. But before we talk about that, Muna. I have to ask, there's sounds like on Facebook, there was a major face crash, uh, injury in your house. And I want to know how y'all are doing. So we're okay. What happened was that Jabril, um, has this dump truck. It's probably, I don't know, the size of a microwave, like a smallish microwave, but he likes to hold on to it. Like imagine he's leaning on it and he runs up and down our driveway. So homeboy tripped and face planted on the street. Oh, and buddy. our street is not one of those nice, like smooth streets. It's like one of those streets that's got like lots of little, I I'll just stop there. Rocks. He, he has a good amount of road rash on his face. And um, I, I have a community of moms that I'm part of on used to be Yahoo groups there. I dated myself and now it's on <laughs> Facebook. And so I went on the Facebook page and I said, mama, somebody's, somebody's kid has, you know, destroyed their face. What do I do? How do I make sure he doesn't have, you know, half of his face scarred over for the rest of his life. And so just instantly people were like, bing, 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 do this, do this, do this vitamin E med savers has this really amazing healing gel for scars you know, uh, lavender oil from Trader Joe's. Some people were like, you don't need all that. Just use Vaseline. And then here's the amazing part. So I had actually posted a picture of my kid's face, but I did it in the comments. Cause I didn't want to like trigger anybody. And then other parents were like, Oh, here's my daughter when she was four, but guess what? She's 16 now. And this is what her face looks like. You're going to be fine. And so it was like instant wisdom, instant, like, Oh, are you okay? And instant like reassurance because like there were kids whose faces were way more busted than my kid's face. And like 10 years later, can't even see anything, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, Jibril is fine. He's actually putting on his medicine like 18 times a day. Um, and I'm fine. And it's just a testament to the collective wisdom of, of, of parents and all the, wild things our kids are going to be doing. (laughs) Thanks so much for Facebook, you know, and Facebook groups, you know, at least to be able to ask people I've learned so much. Any, uh, crazy injury stories y'all want to share? You know what? I just had my first work trip to, I went to New Mexico for work three weeks ago and I was, I was, had just finished my meetings and I called Joe just to check in and she goes, Oh babe, I'm on my way to the hospital. River broke his elbow. I'm like, Oh no. So he broke his, he was, he tripped over a soccer goal and put his hand down to brace his fall and just snapped his elbow, which is a terrible sounding thing. But when I talked to her, he was like 
totally pale, like drained of color and on his way to the ER where he got a cast, which he got off yesterday. Um, but I was, I felt like such a shit for not being in town when he had that happen. And like for a second, they thought he might have surgery. And I was like, I, I gotta go back. I like, this is terrible. Um, but he's okay. He wasn't even mad at me for not being there. And, uh, these little ones, I tell you, they put us through it. I have no scary personal injuries. I'm going to be really glad. Like I need to knock on wood. Cause you know, by the time I was three, like I'd cut my tongue in half, like literally they had to oh, together. how did you do that? I was running in a house with my brother and sister. And like, there was a metal, very sharp metal box. And my sister pushed me and I screamed oh, down. They like Ooh. cut it and then they sewed it. And they, my dad said like, cause I remember being like going to the hospital and I remember part of it. And then they got, you know, those like things like the forks yes, on a grill. It was something like that. Cause it kept slipping when they were trying to sew it back together. So they just like grabbed it and punched <laughs> it. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. In I think life. I said, like, I was too Are you, are you like, done with your story? Because <laughs> I have to confess, I stopped listening. I turned my volume down. Yeah. He was like, no, it. sewed it back together. And they did it without any <laughs> drugs because it was like too little or something crazy. It was just like, sewed it back together that is wretched yeah so but you know what i don't have any scars i were it's like real you know what the cool thing is as we said earlier is that when your kids get hurt or you get hurt all you get is a really cool story you don't remember the pain like, wow i have a cool story about how i broke my arm about how i scraped my face off and yep. what i remember was that my mama cleaned me up and she was there Oh yeah. I would. So I actually scraped my face up on our driveway growing up on my skateboard. And I felt like an enormous badass, to be honest, because I had like this strawberry that like wrapped around my eye. And I felt like pretty much the coolest kid in school. It was worth the pain. Well, Christina, I will say in my culture, when something, when someone says something good, we say mashallah to bless them and make sure that they stay protected. So I'm, I'm very happy for you. And I want to just say, God bless <laughs> so that you are protected and we all stay protected. And, and Martha, to your point, Jibreel loves telling everyone what happened because people see him and they're like, oh, what happened? He's like, oh, I fell down and this. And then this other time I fell on a log and this other time and he like tells all the stories for all of the scars. He is so, so proud, but ooh, I, I'm not going to lie. When, when he came in and there was just blood streaming down his face, like I did, like I didn't go to med school because I can't handle blood and I- right like as mamas, you just put the hat on and you're like, all right, we're going to do this. And you Here get we get. Mm. And so, uh, you know, on that note in dealing with all of the trials and tribulations and challenges and ups and downs that we, we deal with as parents, I'm excited that we're talking to Carrie Conti today. She is a PhD and an internationally recognized coach, author, speaker, and educator. Her work offers a new perspective on human development parenting and family life. And she guides, inspires, and supports her clients to live a wide open life and have courageous hearts so they can approach family life with skill and spaciousness. And full disclosure, I have taken Carrie's parenting classes and I am a big fan. She has a PhD in prenatal and perinatal psychology. 
She's been on NBC's Today Show, on NPR, on CBS, many publications, and we'd love for y'all to check her out on Instagram at Carrie Conti PhD, and you can find more information on her website, CarrieConti.com. Um, so uh, let's get to chatting with Carrie. Let's do it. Excited to be talking with Carrie Conti here. And Carrie, we like to start with the same question on all of our podcasts by asking how your mom or any other influential maternal figure in your life really shaped your view on the world and the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Hmm, that's such a great question. So I would say my own mom, just being very dedicated to, to being a mom. You know, that, that, is, that was her thing, that is her thing. And I mean, I can honestly say I felt delighted in, supported, you know, really um, given a great start. And then uh, from the time I was seven, um, I was the mother's helper of my neighborhood. I was so interested in babies and children that um, there were two moms, one lived next door and one lived down the road. And they had little ones. And all I wanted to do every day was just go be with them. And they were both younger than my mom. And so they offered me another perspective on the world. And um, one of them was really spiritual and one was more of an activist. And, you know, my mom uh, sort of missed the women's movement in the 60s. She was older, but these women were sort of right there in it. And so I was kind of getting these two experiences of, you know, my mom's more traditional ideas on things, but then these women that were, you know, younger and had younger children were really, uh, really very instrumental in my ideas about mothering and womanhood and possibility. And so um, I think about them a lot because they were very, very influential on my life. Would you mind sharing not only your mama's names, but these two mother's yeah. names? Because, you know, a lot of times these figures don't get named. And yeah. so we just want to honor them by, by calling out their names. Yeah. So my mom, Joyce Conti, and then these two women um, were Regina Warren, who I'm still in contact with and just appreciate her. She's got lots of grandchildren now. And then Peggy Sickle was the other mama. But I was always in the realm of moms. I mean, that's what I do now, but it's, it's, it wasn't like I stumbled into it. I, I grew from it. So I love this whole realm. Do you mind if I ask, sorry, Martha, um, Monica, you were, you were talking about how they, Regina and Peggy introduced you to a more spiritual side of parenting or more, you know, uh, immersive in activism. Is there a story that you could share or something you remember where kind of a light bulb went off or you, you had this introduction that was very different? And, and I asked this question because mm-hmm. I've actually taken, for the audience, I've actually taken parenting classes with Carrie and the way she teaches parenting was a whole new world for me. I've never thought about parenting in this way. And, um, it changed my life. And I know that I am a much happier parent, and we are a much happier family because of the classes that I've taken. But, uh, you know, I'm just curious about like how those sparks happen for you. If there's a story. 
Yeah, you know, I'm thinking back, I think honestly, mainly, and so I'll tell a few, a couple little tiny stories, but you know, with Regina, the one who was a little more natural, you know, more into activism and just more aware in my opinion, um, it was more just the way she interacted with me. You know, she just treated me like a friend. She had three baby, you know, she had one four-year-old and a baby when I met her. Um, and I was seven and she was just tell, hand, like, she just treated me like her assistant, which was exactly what I wanted. I wanted that experience of being taken seriously for this interest that I just innately had. Uh, and then, you know, I think when I really think about it, there was a teacher, I went to UT and I did a master's at UT in, um, health promotion. And there was a woman, Mary Steinhardt who uh, was in the, in the department and she really introduced me to doulas. And that I would say was a little bit more of the, like the turning point where I opened up to these, you know, more natural ideas and um, this awareness that there was something a lot bigger going on when babies arrived and women trans, you know, cross the bridge into motherhood. And so it, it wasn't just one person, there was all these women along the way, you know, from when I was seven, you know, from my own mother, but then from when I was seven, all these people I babysat for in college. And then it just kept, they just kept showing up. You know, I was on my path and these, these people were seeing what I was interested in and really very generously feeding me with ideas and with wisdom and with a sense of, um, you know, support in helping me trust this path I was on, which at the time didn't really have, you know, there weren't parenting coaches when I was seven, there was just pediatricians and there were people, you know, but it was like, I was walking into this world as the world was emerging that we would actually consider that parents would need guidance and support and be, you know, really guided and shown, you know, offered ideas on how to know themselves more clearly and trust themselves more than anything and trust their growing people. Uh, and I, I really believe I, I watched a lot of people choosing that at a time when that wasn't as known as it is now. I mean, it sounds to me like you were divinely supported to it. Thousand percent. That's yeah. how I felt that, when I was little. That's how I feel now. It's like the doors just kept opening, 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 opening. Like it, it, yeah. it is an amazing experience to feel that way. That's so cool. And yeah. I've, I, I've had moments of it and I always do feel like I, I have a thing about the doors that open easily and walking through those ones. Um, but I think it's beautiful to hear. And I, so I have so many friends who, who revere you and have gotten to work with you. And, um, and I'm a fan by proxy, but you've seen so many people through their parenting journey. Um, and in, for my wife and I, as part of our journey, one of our desires is closeness with our kids, not just now, but like as they grow up and become, you know, big humans in the world and what, uh, is there a common, is there a thing, is there a special trick to um, 
to facilitating that relationship successfully from seven and nine, where we are now to 19 and 27, one of these days. Yeah. I mean, I did my math wrong, but (laughs) (laughs) I love, um, I love that question. I would say, you know, how much time do we have? There's so many things I would want to share, but I think the thing, um, I mean, there's so many things, but I, I have these four questions that I, I ask people whether their child is in the womb or they're 85. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a way to hold a certain um, spacious curiosity. And so the four questions are just simply, who are you? You know, mm-hmm. I operate from this perspective that you don't get a baby who you fill up with who they are. They are who they are. Right. And it's your... Um, curiosity and your awe in the magnificence of their unique being. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. Second one is, what are you here to experience? And what I love about that is it's both curiosity about that person, but it also kind of reminds you to realize they're here for their own trip. Like they're not a you, you're not, you're walking alongside another human who could be here for a completely different experience. I mean, I tell people that's more likely than not, that they're Mm -hmm. here to walk a completely different journey, to experience things about life for their development, their physical, spiritual, emotional development that might have nothing to do with what you're about. And so I love that question. I mean, imagine looking at a tiny newborn human and being like, what are you here for? Like, what are you about? What are you here for? The third is, what do you need? What's essential for you in terms of your isness, your beingness, and in terms of where you are in your development? Because that's going to be ever shifting. There might be things, you know, like that I need a lot of nature. Like I thrive outside, which isn't that unusual, but some people don't. Um, I need, I love being around water. I do, I, there are certain things where if I can be fed and nourished that way, I do better. And so mm-hmm. that's a curiosity is like both in your bigger beingness and in this phase of development, what do you need? And mm-hmm. then, you know, how do I, what, how can I show up and be present for you and your unfolding? And so I just, I love that. I love those questions. Again, not that you're going to get them answered. You might. I mean, I have lots of people that ask their little people those questions, but in general, to me, it's just a way of holding a perspective that honors that you're just in a relationship with this human. And yes, it's very special and very intimate, but it isn't um, focus on the connection not on the parenting. The shaping, yeah. It's so interesting too, because just by you telling me these questions, I can't ask them about my kids without answering them first for myself, which like is, that's an important exercise to remind us that we are on a path. Exactly. And if I were to add one more thing to your specific question, uh, the one thing, like, I mean, those questions are great, but if Mm -hmm. it were one thing that a parent could do to foster and, and, you know, invest in healthy relationships from the now till you're going to be adults for a long time. It's self-awareness. It's really 
digging into who are, who am I and where are my edges and how do I get pushed against with the way this person just is? And what are the ways that I need to be more compassionate with myself? And what are the things that I'm passionate about that are going to allow me to stay interested in ever evolving in my own life, which is what's going to allow for the actual adult adult connection later. Like yeah. they want to know you as a human and how do you keep developing and expanding because and screwing up. Yes. Oh, totally. And being honest and, and, right. and really making a point of saying you're developing, I'm developing. I've never been a parent of a this age person before, or I have, but not in this way. So it's that honest sense of we're all growing. We're all mm -hmm. learning. We're all figuring it out. Nobody actually knows what they're doing. So let me open myself to the wisdom that you have while I'm getting very clear on who I am and what I need to be present to my experience and my relationships. Ooh, I love it. So fun. So fun. <laughs> there are so many things, like I mentioned earlier, that caused me to realize that you have a completely different paradigm when you talk about parenting. I mean, just in calling out, even in this conversation, you call like kids people, because if you consider them people and not less than the way you treat them shifts, right? Language is so important. Uh, you talked about parenting as connection, not shaping yeah. kids. Those are two very different approaches. Um, and then compassion for yourself in the space that you are in right now, so that when your edges bump up against them, that you can still have space for them and curiosity and pull from their wisdom. Yeah. And um, my question actually has to do with this approach that you talked about earlier, where our little people are born whole and complete. Uh, we're not filling them up. They're already full of their little peoplehood. Right. And um, talk to us a little bit about how that approach is different. And um, the second part of that question is, you've seen some really amazing stories and shared some amazing nuggets. I'd like you to talk about that approach being different, mm -hmm. but also the value that you see getting out of this approach and like these aha moments that people have, because I know even in your, your, our coaching circles, there were moments where parents would say stuff and then we would just all be in tears. And like, while it seems like the most simple thing, it wasn't obvious. Like I have to be, it's, it's still not obvious all the time. No, I know. Well, no, I love the question. So let me take the first one. And then I might have to circle back for the sec, just to get clear on the second one. Cause my brain's like, Oh, okay. First. Um, so as Muna knows, and now you both know sort of peripherally, I operate from this new paradigm. So when many, I think probably most of us, although you guys might have had a different experience, but my experience and most Western experiences of being born in the 70s and 80s was that the common wisdom, the common knowing, the common ideas about babies was that you, they're a blank slate, that there wasn't enough brain structure for them to, you know, know anything. And you as the parent are filling them up and not just that, but it's your job to make them good. Like that you are responsible 
for how they turn out, which is a cuckoo crazy idea, but that's really what was believed. You know, we didn't, we didn't even really recognize babies as feeling physical pain, newborns, until the 1980s. Like that was research. That, that is crazy. Done. I know. And that's what I'm saying. And I did, I was a doula for a while and I would be at birth, at births in the late 90s and early 2000s. And even the way that the medical community was, was interacting with and dealing with the baby people was still from that old idea of like, well, you don't have to worry about that. They're not, they're not really here. Like they're not people. And so my field of study, I have a PhD in a field called prenatal. So before birth and perinatal, meaning around birth psychology. And really it's an interdisciplinary field looking at attachment theory and neuroscience and cellular biology and all these spokes on a wheel, but the center of it is we arrive conscious. We have evidence. We, we are who we are. There's not a time when you have enough brain development that you're a person. You're always there. The brain and body development is just a function of being born before we can do the thing. And the development, yes, we're wiring languages, we're wiring verbal languages and emotional languages. We're waiting, I mean, it's brilliant. We arrive waiting for the environment to shape how we need to deal with this life we're gonna be living. And that's really important stuff. And so the new paradigm, when you know this and you operate from this place, you realize you can't make them an other. You have to believe that not only are they whole and wise and conscious and receiving a lot of information from the environment that you're creating with them, um, but there is a good potential that they might even have a level of wisdom and consciousness that is beyond what we are having access to because of when we arrived on the planet and the way our brains were shaped by the people and the ideas of the time that we came in. And so this idea that you are basically guiding, not even, you're shepherding, you're traveling with, you're having an experience of life with an other being who just came in a small form and is here to do their thing. And they're going to, you know, delight you and expand your heart. And they're also going to pull you down to your knees in every possible way and, and shatter you at times with the way you love them and the, the ways that you can worry about their experiences. And so I just, I like, I mean, again, Muna, does that hit it or was there more specific that you wanted from that question? No, I think that's a really good explanation. I just, I like stories because then people yeah. are like, oh, that's what she means, right? Yeah. Like if you yeah, feel yeah. comfortable sharing, if you have a favorite sure. story or yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. a parent came in and it was like this, and then it was like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, so I'll tell one story. So I was doing, when I was back in grad school, I was doing prenatal parenting classes. So I had made a, I cooked up a course that was teaching people these ideas before the babies were even born. And one story that I loved was this, I, you know, I was talking about talking to the baby in the womb and, you know, narrating what you're doing and really like saying, if you believe there's a person in there, and they're having an experience, even if you can't see them, you know, play with it. 
And this one mom, you know, kind of didn't in front of me, but in later told me like she was rolling her eyes, like, yeah, I'm not buying it. And there was a, like between the two classes, the week between the two classes, uh, she and her partner were leaving the house and they backed up and they, she thought that they had hit the neighborhood cat that they loved. And so there was this moment where, in, as you can imagine, her body went into a, a, a panic and all of a sudden the baby in her womb just was kicking, kicking, kicking. And so she's like, oh, so she stopped herself and she said, and she put her hands on her stomach and she just said, we thought we hit the cat. The cat's okay. I'm going to calm down now. And, you know, we're good. We're okay. It's okay. And as soon as she did that, not her words, but her, she, she acknowledged what she was experiencing. She acknowledged that there was a person in there who was affected by it. And by calming herself down, the, the little one calmed down and wasn't doing that same behavior. So that's one story. And then Muna, I don't even know if you remember this, but um, in a lot of times in the mom and baby circles, so there would be mamas and their little ones, mostly under four months. And um, we would be sitting around and like Muna said, sometimes it would get emotional. I mean, there was a lot of emotion happening in there. And so we would go around and moms would share what was going on and there would be tears. And a lot of times if there was a story being told that had emotion or the, the, the person telling it was having a harder time, their little one would start to get agitated. And then that would set off a bit of a chain reaction with the rest of the little ones. And in my training, which was very um, somatic based, I was taught very early on if the room gets activated, if there's, if there's emotion, the littlest ones are going to reflect that. And so when I remembered, and it wasn't always, I would, I would, you know, acknowledge who was talking, but then I would say, Hey, let's all just take a pause, close your eyes, take a breath. The little ones were still often kind of agitated, but if we just sat there and went back to ourselves, and re-regulated our own nervous systems, the whole room would get quiet. And to me, that's a remarkable um, experience of recognizing that we're all connected for one, and that the little ones are incredibly, sen not, not, not just with it, but like tuned in, and tuned in especially to their caregivers, but also tuned into the other little ones. And so, I mean, I, it's things like that. It's also just people coming and feeling very in need of fixing something. You know, I've got the toddler that's melting down in the grocery store and they're not listening to my words when I try to discipline them. And, uh, um, or I've got the 10 year old who's coming home really thrown off and cranky and I, ask them questions and they just roll their eyes and get snarky with me. And when I can explain what's going on in the brain and really help people get a better sense of that, you know, it's not misbehavior, it's stress behavior. And that old paradigm that I'm the parent, I need to make them who they are. And if they're acting bad, I need to change it versus the new paradigm, which is 
development is so taxing and we don't have this unending pool of resource to draw from. So when we get tired and then we're with the people we love the most who are our safe base, we are gonna often, myself included, act really unsavory. And when you can know that and recognize that that's dysregulation, not misbehavior, to me, I mean, I think, Muna, the thing that I get the most is when, you know, I hear the most is that knowing that the brain, how the brain develops and the different parts of the brain and how to interact with the different parts of the brain and why that is so important is probably the most impactful thing um, of the new paradigm that I offer people. The Manifesto podcast explores the career paths of ambitious women and how they charted their own unique path to success. In each episode, our host talks to an inspiring woman about current issues that are affecting women in the workplace. The show covers a wide variety of topics, including allyship among women, diversity and inclusivity in the workplace, and how to handle a burn, burnout and more. Listeners can expect thoughtful advice and hands-on tips that translate into every industry. The Manifesta podcast is out to change the way we see work. And what better time than now? The Manifesta podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. So I want to switch it up a little bit and ask you about, I think, the most common thing um, we moms go through um, and the thing we fear the most which is suffering for our little people, right? Which is also an inevitable fact of life that they will feel suffering and pain. And so um, every night I have to lay with my little man, Santi, so he'll go to sleep. And I usually do gratitudes like when I'm laying next to him. And then I also wish things for his future. And I wish for him, um, not for him not to suffer or have pain because he will, but my wish and, per and hope for him is that he'll be able to be resilient. And to take all of those lessons of um, pain or hard lessons to become a better, stronger per person and never lose his heart. Because I think that's the thing we love about them when they're so small is they're just so, so giving and so pure. And then of course, life changes that. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I guess, what advice do you have so that we can raise our kids to be resilient and keep their hearts as best um, intact with also healthy boundaries to protect them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I love just the idea of holding that we grow through challenge, you know, that, that it's, it, it would, I, I don't think we really want this. We think we want it. We don't want them to suffer. We don't want them to feel pain. We don't want them to have to go through hard things. And yet when you come from a perspective that is just looking at humans, all humans as humans, and you recognize that's just a part of being alive. And in fact, that's often what grows us, you know, for better, not always in the moment, but those challenges and being able to move beyond that is what creates the resilience and what, and what allows for uh, this sense of, you know, expansion and, and more empathy and more compassion and a better sense of self and what you're capable of. So I think there's two things and you hit, I think you actually hit on both of them. 
One is becoming skillful at really being okay with all emotions in yourself and in other people. And again, from an old paradigm, there was a lot of belief and communication verbally and non-verbally of which emotions were going to fly and which ones weren't. You know, there was a sense that, you know, if somebody's upset that I've got to fix it or I've got to change it or it's not okay that they're feeling that way and they should be this other way. And what we now know, again, from a brain and nervous system perspective is the emotion is the byproduct of being out of whack, of, of having something come at you, whether it's growing from the inside or learning something or having a really intense experience with your peers, all sorts of things can overwhelm us and can create a sense of panic, a sense of, you know, overdoneness. And then the way that shows up in the behavior can look like it's not related, but it usually is that when you're overdone and you're having a hard time, you are not going to be your highest, most evolved self. You're going to be very primitive. And so in the early years, like with a four-year-old, you know, both honoring and empathizing with that person's emotions, but also, and you said this really brilliantly, also being more tuned in and being able to honor and empathize with your own emotions and knowing where your boundaries are and holding those and letting them know, you know, hey, I know you want to go do that thing. It's not going to work for me. If I let us do it, if I let you do it, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to freak out. Um, letting the little one then have the emotion and empathizing. I know you really wanted to do that, but you staying steady and being able to empathize and say, yeah, that's not going to work for me. That is so incredibly valuable in the short term because you're going to be able to stay regulated more, not always, but more than not, if you let them do the thing and then you'd get dysregulated, that's not ideal for either of you. So in the short term, very valuable. In the long term, you're teaching clear boundaries. You're teaching that inner, hey, let me check in with myself. Oh, we are people. You know, I gave a talk recently on really, we don't know where the world is going. I have lots, of, I, I, I'm, I'm a good dreamer. I'm, 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 I, I have a vision that I, I hope we're moving toward. I believe we are. Um, but I don't know what the world is gonna look like. So you can't, the legacy that you can offer them is a legacy of knowing, of being able to tune in and know what is going to work. And that might be at odds with them sometimes. So you wanna support and honor and listen to their knowing as much as you can, while also saying there's gonna be times where as your parent, I have to keep us safe and this is why, and sometimes safe means emotionally safe. Like I can't let you do that thing because it's going to rattle me and then I'm going to freak out. That's, you know, that's, and so giving them that kind of experience of clarity from within and really, you know, using that pause and saying, I know you want to do that. Let me check in. I don't know if I'm okay with that and really doing it and then coming out with your answer that's offering them 
a modeling of a way to be really present in yourself. And then I don't know where that takes the moment of the relationship. It could cause some conflict, but I still feel strongly that the boundary lies within. And if you want your young people to have a knowing of their boundaries later, it has to be modeled, honored in them, but also modeled by the people around them so that when they're teenagers and things are going down that you don't know how they're gonna handle it, you have a sense of, yeah, they make good choices because they listen to their gut really well. Does that make sense, Christina? Okay. Yeah, no, that makes great sense. Yeah. It makes so much sense that it also, I, I keep being reminded of, I, when I was younger, I worked with horses. I practiced natural horsemanship mm-hmm. and we would train horses that had never worked with humans before. And it, they, what they require is um, that the person coming into the ring knows themselves and comes in honestly and they react badly when, when that isn't true. And, and so it required, you know, this deep emotional work um, in order to show up and do that. And it, it, I'm so often reminded when I'm being a, what I perceive as a bad parent or I'm doing parenting that I'm not proud of. I am, um, there's a, that's where the disconnect usually is, is somewhere with my feelings. Right. And bad shitty boundaries. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And yeah. that such is like, and it could be ambivalence too. There's a part of you that yeah. wants to go with it. And there's a part of you that's like, this isn't going to work. And so, right. you know, deferring to the nervous system is always a good idea. Yeah. And then explaining without too many words. Okay. That's why again, yeah. because the learning, the deeper learning and really, I mean, that goes in both directions. It's owning your own boundaries and mm-hmm. then really t- truly listening and honoring when you can, if they're not in physical danger, or it's, you know, if, if a few, you know, three out of two out of five times, you can give them a sense of, yeah, I heard that boundary. Okay. You know, physical boundaries. Yes. Listen all the yeah. time. There's just these sticky, you know, I, I'm not even going to get into it. There's these sticky situations yeah. where you want to be like, yes, I want to honor that. And no, we're not going to No, I cannot. And so it's like, So I think being honest and open and saying, man, there's a, you know, there's a part of me that wants to be able to let you do that. And I'm also here like that holding both. And, and I think it's just going to be messy sometimes, but the honesty and the backing up and going, yeah, you know what? I said yes to that, but I'm actually realizing that's not, that's, that's not going to work. And so that doing the repair is so valuable. So messing up, which you have to, you can't do it all. You don't want to do it all just right. And being committed to really saying, I messed up. I am, I am sorry. I, I didn't do that. Well, here's what I wished I had done. That's going to create connection. Like, it's like, there's all these little moments where there's these choice points and if you can just go with the authentic realness, it deepens. It's like, that's what deepens. Goes deeper. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I have another, um, another question. I totally agree that my kids river and towns were born fully formed, like these incredible 
powerful beastly creatures um and in the new paradigm is not necessarily um socially accepted right like society wants to shove us into smaller neater more organized spaces how do we raise kids that that recognize when they are trying to be shoved in a box by society and they refuse help them refuse that to honor themselves because yeah. i i like crawled into the box and tried to stay in there until i nearly died yeah um and i don't want that for them yeah i know i mean i think a lot of it is listening with that real um regulated curiosity you know and i think the more somebody feels like they're being heard and not just you know, oh, you're a kid, you don't really know, but a genuine like, oh yeah, I get that. Like seeing that beingness, I call it the isness, that essence, and you know, being being reminded and and supported in going toward that. Like I see you light up when that happens. I see that ferocity when that person said that. I want you to really pay attention to what that felt like. Like you knowing you is the name of the game. And I, I think that even just what you three are doing is moving that idea forward, that we need to let everybody be who they are. You know, I like to play the game that, yes, we're all called humans, but what if every human is a different species? We're not, you know, that we're all here with a little something different and unique that might not be operating at all from the, you know, the, the boxes have to go. There's no place for them anymore. None of it can be, you know, we're, and I do think we're evolving. I do think that it won't be that many generations because if we can, I mean, there's so much opening now. And if you really look at when we were young, what has happened and we can easily just look at the stuff that we don't love, but mm -hmm. when you step back and you have enough human brain access and you really do look around and go, oh my gosh, like I, I, you know, I have nieces and nephews in high school and I talk to them and the way that they are experiencing a lot of the things that weren't even on my radar is astounding. And so it's amazing. Right. So I yeah. think it, I don't even know. I think it's just get out of their way and keep supporting in ways that can feel, you know, that you feel it's safe, but also like trusting that deeper wisdom and that they came to you. I mean, really like they're here for you to, tra you're traveling together and you get to be their champion. And I think the biggest thing that I love, you know, I don't have children that I have, raised. So I have this bizarre perspective of doing the work I do and being so passionate about it, but not ever having crossed the bridge mm -hmm. into parenthood. And so my brain is still operating in some ways from the child perspective, from the, 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 the non-parent perspective and the ability for me to have faith in any human's journey of unfolding is a little different because I don't have that same heart ripped open and so vulnerable 
in that person's experience. And so cultivating faith and having enough space from them that you at every stage can see the unfolding and trust it and then feed that back and say, you make, I, you make great choices. You're so aware of yourself. I so appreciate that you're thoughtful with your friends and just authentically really being in awe of how they are who they are. And it is true that like, see, like from a little bit more distance, being able to see like who and how they are in the world. Like we just had parent teacher conferences and it was so lovely to like hear the kids that were reflected back to me. Like they really are amazing. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. That's why community. I mean, that's why community is so valuable. I mean, we could do a whole, a whole show on this because you know, not only if it is it if it when it's just parents and their children, sometimes the fear can get in the way or not understanding that person. But if you're in a community and there's lots of different adults and there's lots of different growing people mm-hmm. who you resonate with might be very different than the person that you're living with. And so to me, that's maybe even more of the answer is it's not meant to be done by one or two adults, right? And so surrounding yourselves with others that can delight and see, you know, I think it's, we're back to where we started is like, I have these wonderful parents, but the mindset that they were operating from wasn't what was sparking me and these other women had that. And so that was, in my opinion, like, that, that was really lucky. That felt really good. And, you know, teachers are great and you can find some that are just really cool. They get them, but they have a lot of people they have to hang out with. So having aunts and uncles and friends and cousins and people showing them all different ways of being a human, to me, that's like, oh, that's as good as it gets. We talk a lot about building the world for our children. And a lot of our conversations, Carrie, have been, I'll call them external facing. And this is, this is such an important conversation because it's, it's actually internal facing our own parenting. And it's just a reminder to me truly of how much agency we actually have. And in our parenting with our little people, how we can radically change the world. And, you know, the the thing you're talking about right now about community is really top of mind for me for the last year and a half. Many of us have been cut off yeah. from community or engaging with people in a very limited way. Um, COVID's been hard. Social distancing has been hard. Parents are trying to do more than they ever thought they'd have to be doing with filling in for friends and you know, social activities and trying to cook and make sure your house is clean and the list goes on and on and on. And then if you throw in parenting there and we have, you know, single parents and families in all shapes, sizes, directions, right? Um, We were chatting about like, I know for myself, we've been social distancing very hard. I worry about my, my little people. I worry about myself, right? As a parent, I know that like my patience has been running low, thin, whatever you want to call it. Um, But also, 
you know, as a grown up, I figure I'm going to be fine, but I worry more about my kid and like what they've lost, what she's lost out on in the last year and a half, you know, talk to us a little bit about best way moving forward, considering so many people have had limited community and just making sure that, I don't know, how can we fill in any gaps that may have been there, but also like move gracefully into whatever this next phase is, because it's a big transition. Completely. And I feel like, so whether it's somebody welcoming a new baby into their home or a partnership forming and moving in together, like put a, I say this a lot for any transition, put a frame around it. You know, we're putting a frame around the reemergence now. That, you know, there's this way that we as humans want to just fling ourselves back out there or we want to just stay, you know, like hold up. And, and what I would say to that is, you know, pause, like take it slow and really check in a lot. And maybe, you know, I'm a big intention setter and I do a lot of writing. Like I just spent a couple of, I spent some time this afternoon really thinking about like the summer. It's like, how do I want this to go? How do I want it to feel? What are the things that I want to make sure I give energy to so that I feel like it's meaningful? And so that would be, you know, it might be that you have um, one question every Sunday night or not Sunday because you do this, but maybe one day a week, you say to your family, you know, we're, I'm going to bring a question and they might roll their eyes or they might get excited, but you say, you know, what, how, who, what, what are the things you would love to do now that we get to go do more things? And it's not even that you're looking for the answer, but you're opening up this idea that, wow, it's been this way. Now it's shifting. How do we want to do that? What would make it feel good for everybody? And the other thing I say a lot is, especially in this situation where we've been compressed and we've had to tighten up and be more isolated. And so, you know, experiment, like that's all. Like, honestly, I would rather people consider that we're walking out into a new world on some, in some ways and be very experimental with it. Like, who are we now? What are we going to do with this new, um, this new freedom that we're now re-experiencing and with the awareness of what we all just went through? And I mean, I hear every word you're saying, and I also hold the perspective that every young person that just went, I mean, we're gonna be affected as well, but I believe that there's something really important that just happened for this generation of humans where they got to push pause in some ways, not, not that it was easy, but just the fact that everything changed so much is such an interesting experiment for humans to run. And I have so much faith in the young people and what kind of self-knowing and creativity and um, potential could come from this. And so I guess my, bit, my biggest sort of uh, wish is that 
a lot is considered before the business as usual resumes. It's like, okay, what did we, who, what do we know about ourselves and each other that we didn't know? Oh, we do really well when we have a full day on the weekend with no have tos, or we do really well when we eat dinner outside a few times a week. Like, what are the ways that you know yourselves and your little, you know, each each individual, and then the the client, you know, the family as a unit, in a way that might be very different than you would have known before this. And so, I think you just have to wait and see and. I, I'm a big, you know, what if upper. I, I like going with the what if up. So when you catch yourself concerned about where it goes, you know, pat your chest and really like hold yourself for a moment, but then realize, oh, I can just what if up it as easily as what if down, like what if they never recover from this? It's like, what if this was the best thing that ever happened? They're equally just thoughts so find the thought that feels just a little bit better and go with that one because that'll allow you in the present moment to be a little lighter and that's all they really want. That is they don't want us worrying about them. That is what, my favorite game that you taught us. Right? What, what if up, right? Because yeah. it's just as likely to go the other way. And on that note, little tribute to you. Um, we went outside the other day and we were feeling pretty happy about it. And in the spirit of experimenting, my care, my kids were like, we're just going to say hi to everybody because we're outside, even if it's just someone in another car. And so then as they were driving and we were at the stoplight, they would just wave. And my 12 year old was like, ah, it's so embarrassing. And I was like, well, what if it's awesome? And so then they turned around and waved at the person next to us. And then they started waving ah. back and it was just, it was awesome. And so then that invitation for fun and connection lasted the whole time we were out. It didn't matter where we went or what we did, just like the waves and the smiling. And we were like, yeah, let's do this more. And you know, my 12 my year old kind of got into it and then she probably pulled into her shell a little bit. My five-year-old was all about it. So um, I like that playfulness, which is another thing you, you talk all, of, all the time about. And so um, I'm glad we're having this conversation. I think there's things that I've just absorbed um, and I've forgotten that it's from the class, but you're also reminding me so much that it's like time to go back to those basics, like super, super helpful. What if uh, experiment, you know, try, you know, know your tendency, try the opposite, like little, these just little things that are just like, oh, right, right, right. It's all just perspective. And really, honestly, knowing how to really tend your own wobbly self when those thoughts come up and just seeing that as, oh, pause, come back down here to my heart, what's going on in my gut, this needs a break, I need to go take a walk, I need to take a drink of water, but like we have to be the ones taking responsibility for not letting the concerns over whether COVID's gonna affect them or the technology or whatever it is it's like, that seems to be the hardest work of a parent right now. Yeah. Well, that actually is right? perfect. Our, I think on our last real question we have, which I think is just a perfect intro to it, which is the question of mommy guilt, right? Mm -hmm. I think that um, what I realized as being 
a mom and the most universal feeling is like constant guilt. And, you know, I think a really good example of that was during COVID, you know, my son, um, I had, I had run for office. I'd spent a year running around the state and I said, okay, as soon as the Senate race is over, I'm going to put Santi in a new school because he had been traveling with me and then everything shut down. And I felt guilty that I didn't send him to school, but I felt guilty, um, you know, because he would stay home and watch TV because I didn't know what to do because I was working. And then I felt guilty at the idea of sending him to school because I'm like, what if he gets sick? And so either way, it was a lose-lose. But I think it's just that constant feeling. How do we as mothers deal with guilt? How do we allow, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We're human, but it also feels like, oh my God, I love this precious being so much. I don't want to mess it up at all or hurt them in any way. And so how, how do you recommend that we deal with that? Well, I mean, I don't have the answer, but I do have a thought. Well, two thoughts. One is, um, and I'll credit my partner for this, is this mantra, you know, every everything is the way it is. Like, you know, everything is, I am exactly where I need to be. And, you know, as, as simple as that might sound, there is something that shifts when I start going down that road of, oh, I messed this up or, oh, I should, I wish it was different. It's like, you, there's a, that, that's a deep trust that has to be cultivated in my opinion. But what if we looked at the world that way? What if we looked at our experiences? So, you know, that may or may not help, but to me, the guilt is often thinking that it needs to be something different. And it's like, but this is what it is. And I can be present and I can be with this person right now and I can beam them a little love or I can be swirling around in what I think needs to be different and then I'm not present. And that that could create guilt. So that's not the best thing. I think my best advice around guilt is to see it as uh, an internal representation of this brainstem that feels stressed. And so if we can catch it and hear the energy, I'm feeling wobbly. I use the term steady, wobbly, and everything in between. So you're not saying I'm upset or I'm depressed. You're just saying I'm not, I'm not aligned. I'm not with myself. I'm starting to go out there. Wish I had done this. Wish this could happen. And to me, when I, when you hear that guilt, if you can just stop and really ask yourself, like, what do I actually need right now? Because you don't need this. I mean, that is just something that happens. What's usually needed is rest, some time outside, a hug. Um, it's the nervous system saying, I'm on fire. I don't feel like everything is okay. And yes, you might need to make some adjustments out there, but in the moment of feeling dysregulated, getting re-regulated is a better use of your energy. So I don't know if that makes sense, but basically the idea is use the guilt as the alarm system that you need something so you can feel more grounded in that moment. And then if the guilt feels like it's knock, knock, knocking, you know, then say, all right, we're gonna have to address this. Maybe we do need to figure out a different situation for him. But the, 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 like chasing the tail of the, the dog chasing its tail of like, I feel guilty, I shouldn't feel guilty, Ugh, that can make you just go crazy. And so it's these like steadying and having a couple 
like, you know, like triage, like in the moment practices of like, when I hear the guilt, I say, stop. I open the door. I get up, you know, if I'm in bed, I get up, I go breathe fresh air. Like I know, like being committed to taking care of the whole self so that it doesn't run away in these places that are just going to take you out of the moment. So not easy. It's good. I mean, and, 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 and so on that note, the, the preventative version of that is um, appreciations. And I'm like a cuckoo crazy human about them, but I, I can say it's been life-changing to have a regular daily practice of noticing what I, what's working for me. You could have it. What's, you know, so seeing the way it's all going well and marking that and noting it and writing it and, or typing it um, to me, that's like the antidote. Like if you can get yourself in that flow, you're less vulnerable to when the guilty voices come up because you're reminding yourself regularly of what is actually going well. Does that make sense? So that's worth just, you know, considering and playing with. I, I love all of this, Carrie. It's, um, it's so, I don't know, underwhelming how much parents' jobs are appreciated, right? And like what we could actually be to, doing and how we could be impacting the world. And as we talk about building the world for our kids, it really does start with ourselves. And then the approach we take with our children um, for them to build connection, be honoring themselves for both of us to have self-awareness and, and moving to that point where we are regulated because then the choices we make are that much better. And ultimately, if we're all doing that, then that is building the world for our kids. And so, um, yeah, parents are, um, you know, hashtag parents for the win, I guess is yeah, what I'll say. Exactly. And recognizing that the resourcing and the time to give yourself like nourishment on multiple levels, especially in the work that you all do. I mean, your, your energy's out a lot. And so, you know, how you bring energy in and some of it might be with being with your people and some of it might be doing the work that you are so passionate about, but it also might be having what I call the tuning in and the tuning up practices and finding those what's essential. Like, what do I have to do for myself regularly so that this machine can operate in a way where I can truly be steady for the people I love and for the work that I'm doing. So, um, we're all just figuring it out and we're all just trying to find the, the ways to just, you know, be here and savor the, the slippery, you know, moments with these people. And so if, you know, if this just gave you a little like boost of like, right, just sparkle a little, make sure I'm taking care of myself and figure out how I can really do what I love and be steady that you're good, you know, and then, let them just stretch you and grow you and, you know, make you really just keep honing. You're just honing, honing with them, honing yourself. They're honing themselves. 
uh, it's really amazing how it all works. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Y'all Carrie Conti, the parenting coach among so many other things you can check her out on our website, carrieconti.com. And I'm going to leave y'all with a lot of sparkle, not a little sparkle, because that's how we do it on Three Righteous Mamas. <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much. It's an honor. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. That made me so happy talking to her, y'all. I um, I decided to go to a parenting coach uh, when I had my first because I have a little confession. I am not really a kid person. Growing up, I'd like see babies, I'd hold them for a second, and then I'd hand them off to someone else because I just, eh, eh. There was, there was nothing going on for me. And I thought, if I have kids, I need to know something about this. Also, because I didn't want my kids to be those brown kids that were running around screaming like, I don't know, um, pirates or I don't know who screams. And I wanted to be able to have like a good connection. And so someone had recommended Carrie to me, and I went to these classes. And it was a completely different way of doing things. You know, I grew up in a very traditional Asian house where my parents tell me what to do. And like, that's it. Like even a certain kind of eye contact is considered disrespectful, let alone talking back. And I wanted to be able to have a different way of, of engaging with my kids. And so it was a very, very different way, you know, like talking about stuff and acknowledging feelings. And I was like, what is all this stuff? Like my, my friends and my parents all thought I was so kooky, but now they're, they're on the carry wagon. It happened. And so, you know, just these, these, um, modeling what it means to have boundaries and thinking about stuff and acknowledging our emotions, like this is all gifts for us. And I, I'm just so happy to, to talk to her. And I, I don't know if that resonated for y'all, but it was really big for me. I, it really did resonate for me because especially, I mean, there was, there were, there were a bunch of different places. One really nerdy thing she kept re- talking about honing. Um, like we hone ourselves and we hone our kids. And when I went to culinary school, I didn't, I thought honing meant sharpening the knife, but what it means is it brings the blade to true because it pulls it into alignment, but nothing's actually removed from it. And like going a little bit deeper with that metaphor, it, I feel that with the kids too. It's not about removing anything from them to improve them. It's about like bumping up against each other so that we can use that tension to, to create some, the best version of ourselves or the most functional version of ourselves. So I loved that. And then like, I am actually taking the, I'm at this podcast in community with my friends that I have missed so much. Um, And my kids are back with a crew that they can like, have different adults to interact with and different kids to interact with. And I really feel, I have felt the, the missing of the community so deeply for the last 18 months that to be back in it is, um, feels like a huge relief to me and hugs. You know, for me, I think a lot about Santi and that like we think a lot about what we provide to them we think about how we provide the food they need and take him the places he needs and um 
all of those things that are really, really important and take a lot of emotion and heart and work out of one. But I think having time and space to think about the emotional support that I provide Santi and how my own stability is so important to that. Um, I think that's, and having, I I'm so grateful, Muna, you had a place to think with other moms through that and feel through that. Um, because we, it's true. Like, um, being a mom for those that want to be, it's such a universal thing and it's the most important thing you do and having space and time to think about the weight, the gift and how you cherish that and how you also take care of yourself in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a lot of wisdom there. And I know I've learned, she, she, you clearly learned a lot there, Muna, cause I, I, I feel like you're one of my mom role models. So I didn't even know you didn't want to, you weren't like a little person person. <laughs> I am a total little person person though. I didn't want children. And now I'm like, well, then I wanted Santi when I got pregnant. I was very, very like, he was a planned child, but, um, like I'm, my heart is ever expanding. So it's fun to be in conversation with you all and her to think through what that means and how I take care of his little heart as I take care of mine. I, I do like kids now. That was the before me. This is the after me. I've <laughs> seen Muna with her kids. You know that she likes her kids. Very she likes much. Ah, that was amazing. I'm so happy we chatted with her and, uh, you know, just for our listeners, it's, just a really beautiful reminder of, of how, how much we really can be impacting not only our kids, but the future and the future we're all building for all of our kids. 